you know, you, you know, again, society, you read books, you see movies like, you know, entrepreneurial experiences, you know, everybody hits a home run and it's, there's just nothing further from the truth. It's, it's really hard to start a business and, and, and grow a company and, and to do that in a successful way, uh, is a grind like every minute of every day. And it, it literally changes you like through the process. And so I often think about that experience that I went through, you know, at Lehigh where that's getting kicked in the teeth pretty heavy duty when you get cut your senior year in college. And and so how do you pick yourself up, right? And you just kind of find a way. And it's, I had an old boss, um, he used to say, this ain't ballet. And, and it's true. I mean, you think everything should be kind of coming at you like in a, you know, in a box, you know, with a nice blue bow on it, but it just doesn't work that way. And, and, uh, and I think athletics teaches you that. And I learned that experience with the transition out. Hi, this is Vin McCaffrey, former college basketball player at Lehigh University, founder and CEO of Game Plan. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I have Vin McCaffrey, who's a former college basketball player at Lehigh University and is now the founder and CEO of Gameplan. And Gameplan is a student-athlete development platform that unifies the student-athlete experience and aligns athletic departments, athletes, and employers for the good of all. And Vin, let me start off by saying I'm very jealous that you were able to play basketball at Lehigh University. I know I, I mentioned this to you earlier, uh, but I that was my dream to play football at Lehigh. Didn't really turn out the way I planned, but it, either way, we're we're connected now. And uh, if you if you can, can you start off by just taking us through your experience as a college basketball player at Lehigh and what were some of your struggles, successes, and what you kind of learned from both of those? Yeah, first let me say I, I you know knowing your story, it's 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 remarkable what you're doing now and what you've gone through. Uh, second, it's it's clear you're a smart man because you desire to at least go to Lehigh. You know, it's it's not all of us are are are, are there, so that's, that's <laughs> wonderful. So uh, it's good. And actually, and interestingly enough, uh, not knowing that you were from Morris County, uh, our little guy was born in Morristown Hospital. So all right. it's a small world. Yeah. So yeah, me take, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, kindred spirits. My experience at Lehigh was great. Um, yeah, I was a uh, southern New Jersey kid um, right outside Philadelphia. Grew up playing basketball. Uh, my grew up around athletics my whole life. My my dad played and coached um, college football. Then, um, in fact, I spent a few years in Utah as a kid where he was coaching out at Snow Junior College. And we came back east uh, to get closer to family. And he, uh, a very entrepreneurial man, he went and did several different careers. And, uh, and so I primarily grew up around Philly and it was, did pretty well as a, as a young kid playing basketball. It was really kind of the, uh, when you think about the eighties, uh, and early nineties, the start of AAU basketball and, and, uh, you know, recruiting was, can become a little bit more sophisticated at the time. And I was doing all right as a basketball player. Um, fortunate enough to, to get a shot to go to play basketball at Lehigh. And, uh, and it was a great experience. Um, you mentioned struggles. It's 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 interesting when you go and play college athletics, and it's something we hear from most of the folks we, we deal with and work with. Um, it's kind of like this dichotomy where 
you in a sense have more free time as as a as an individual um, there's a lot less structure if you will in many circumstances yet there's a whole lot more responsibility on your shoulders and things start flying at you a lot more quickly than they did in high school and and you know as you make that transition from high school to college the variables are much different you know like in high school a guidance counselor or you go to study hall that was almost like you're in trouble uh, when you go to do that in college that's your lifeline. That's that's what you're supposed to do. And and I didn't understand that. And I I I was in over my head a bit uh, initially academically, uh, not necessarily because I couldn't do the work, but maybe because I was out having a pretty good time and <laughs> and uh, and enjoying school and working very hard on basketball, but at the same time uh, maybe not as focused as I should have been in elsewhere. And and so one of the major challenges and struggles I faced was incoming freshman to school, 18-year-old knucklehead that uh, that really loved basketball and was around people that I, I really enjoyed, my team, teammates, uh, and I was having fun with them. Uh, but I was in a deep hole out of the first semester academically. And, you know, what you realize with the me- mechanics of, of a GPA, you, it's very difficult to dig yourself out of that hole. So my own fault, I, I put a lot of undue pressure on myself um, to, to be able to come out of that hole. So when you start thinking about, you know, as, as the season kicks in as a winter sport, uh, you know, you're always kind of in season as a college athlete. But when it really kicks up around October uh, going in and then you start your your travels in November, um, you start to balance a lot more. And, and I don't know if I was fully prepared for that. It was, that was a lot coming at me quickly. I don't think I was the most mature, uh, of mindsets to, to approach that. Hey, I mean, that story resonates with me and I didn't even play college sports. Uh, I dug myself quite the whole, my freshman, uh, my first semester of freshman year as well. Uh, so I can only imagine if I had, you know, a sport on top of that to kind of add to the I guess mayhem that is mm-hmm. when you you know go go to college and yeah you don't have the the support system necessarily that you had back in high school or whatever or it's just not as easy. Yeah. Uh, so what did you learn from this struggle? Like how did you get yourself out of that hole and like? Yeah, you know you grind right. Um, but you know what? I look back, you know, and and, and hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I the the structure that the season brought to me was was profound uh you know when when you've you are traveling and and you've got a very set schedule uh you know versus that first five or six weeks of campus maybe even two months of campus uh, before the season really kicked in uh that's where i i went astray and then when when the season kicked in i was i was in a better place uh i was pretty dialed in and and so my grades went from really really bad first semester to not so bad uh second semester that doesn't necessarily average out to being okay uh when it was all said and done freshman year (laughs) but it all kind of pulled together it was it was one of those scenarios where uh you know we're always very quick to look at one data point and that if I were to look at the data point of the first semester I would say uh not so good if I were to look at the data point of saying how was freshman year that wasn't bad. I learned a lot. I came through, you know, a really difficult first semester academically to to doing pretty well second semester academically, figuring out a little bit more of my key interests uh, as it relates to an academic major, um, you know, getting assimilated to the team in a more uh, strong way. So there was a lot that kind of goes through that, those, 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 uh, those experiences. I don't know 
if if you if you can really prepare for it, I think there's ways to help break the ice for a young person going into that to help them understand what will be expected and 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 some tricks of the trade. But there is a part of this where you just have to you have to go through the experience and um, and I did and <laughs> it hit me like a ton of bricks. But uh, looking back, I it was it was one of those struggles where. You know, whether you're running a business or your family, you know, there's there's a lot that life throws at you. I, I draw on that still. You know, I think about that experience and what it was like going through it as as an 18, 19 year old and uh, and finding a way through. All right. Um, and one of the things you said was that it took you a little bit to find some of your key interests that kind of got you on the right track. And I know Lehigh's mm-hmm. a big engineering school and you ended up doing business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I and- did. Yeah, and you said your dad was very entrepreneurial, so it kind of makes sense. But, you know, do you have any advice for athletes to help find those key interests, like, early on? Yeah, thanks for asking the question because it's a tee-up for a lot of what we do. I, okay. I, you know, I, I find that uh, an alignment of interest as it relates to an academic major is one of those those key elements, those, as you know, in the business world, they call them key performance indicators. When the college athletic experience, if you can find out what you actually like and then start creating a major or an academic coursework and, and, and workload around that, good things start to happen, uh, you know, on a level playing field. So I'm not saying that every athlete is created equal academically. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, on a level playing field, individuals who are studying things they like are going to be more engaged. They it'll be a better experience, and so the sooner you can start to understand what that looks like, you you in some instances for a kid like me with their head spinning and and you're not quite sure which way to go, you can help them dial in on particular interests because you start to see how that connects out to certain certain classes, uh, and. And what we've learned, uh, what I've learned personally, and I'm not a trained psychologist, but I, I've gotten a chance to work with a lot, you know, that starts to come to the individual somewhere around mid to late high school. That starts to come out of their personality. And and so it's not too early to start thinking about it then. So that way it even helps you refine which university might be a good fit. Like you said, Lehigh is a wonderful engineering program. It's broader than that now. Uh, 25 years ago, it was it was all in on engineering, um, with other majors as well, you know. And and the individual who was not in tune with, for example, an engineering background or or the sciences, um, that might not be the right fit. Lehigh might not be the best place. You know, you might want to go more towards a traditional liberal arts. And having a perspective like that earlier in the process is really valuable. Uh, it helps that young person really strong or else you could be in a situation where you feel a little pigeonholed. I have to take this class. God, I hate it, but I have to take it because it's really the only thing that's offered. We hear that a lot and it, it breaks your heart because you understand that is the case. Um, however, if you if you came to understand some of those interests a little earlier, you might be able to uh, to make some of the selection process a little bit more with some more wisdom. All right. And when you say like, when you could just start thinking about that in high school of like different mm-hmm. areas that you're interested in, does that mean like just taking some different courses while you're in high school, like, uh, something out of the ordinary that you normally may, might not have taken? Yeah, I think so. I think that's one way. Although I think that might be a little bit more of a hit or miss strategy. And, uh, you know, when you're in high school, you know, your ability to create, uh, you know, too many 
um, uh, you know, choice classes is pretty limited. Uh, what we're saying is there's a lot of great interest inventories out there that are pretty decent indicators of where someone could could find uh, a passion, you know, around specific majors and, and subject matter. Uh, we like those a lot. We built our own. So, uh, you know, a quick commercial and game plan. We have one uh, that we think fits very well for, you know, someone who has an athletic background uh, that we can help them understand what their interests are away from the field, away from the court. Um, and they're really, they're valuable. They're really valuable. I'll tell you what they're valuable. They're tools for not only the student athlete, um, but for parents and guardians. But where they might become most valuable is when you start making that transition into college and you're one student athlete amongst 100 to 150 in an incoming freshman class and you have an academic advisor who's prospectively working with 100 kids and they, they get to know you for like a day. Uh, you know Anything that will help them build that bridge into understanding your psyche and your insight where you want to go, that's a huge tool, right? So so helping stakeholders who are really trained at helping you to do well in college, helping them to get to know you faster and quicker, that's a real advantage. Okay. Uh, and how accessible is that interest um, survey that you, you just talked about? Yeah, it's super accessible as, as as long as you're a game plan customer. Uh, we've uh, you know we're in a lot of different college uh, campuses. We're now working with some professional leagues as well. Um, you know, I'm happy to give you a little bit more background of how we approach customers today. It's not necessarily a consumer product from the standpoint that you know the average student athlete in high school and college can't go into our website and just get started. Uh, we're today choosing to work with the overall athletic department or institution as an example versus just the individual. Um, that might change in the future, but that's where we are right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll hold off until a little later in the conversation to, to talk about that. Another yeah. question that I had in regard to kind of like picking interests and stuff like that is a lot of times, you know, the college you know, athletic schedule is so demanding that the the available majors and areas of interest are kind of dictated for the athlete just based off of when practices and when the games are and traveling and everything like that. So the kids can't always explore their true interests. So how, how do you guys kind of approach that kind of situation? Yeah, you know, I think I, I don't disagree with your statement, although I, I wouldn't say it's 100% true. Uh, but I don't disagree with you know the premise that the athlete schedules do put certain parameters on uh, certain classes. For example, uh, you know those engineering labs that are uh, only available in the afternoons, um, you know, and that's prime time for practices, for example. And so we get that. Uh, I think you know as kind of a guiding principle there is um, the more information the better. So if if in fact the student athlete has a high interest in in certain subject matter, uh, and and if you buy into the theory that if an individual is truly interested in certain subject matter, that again on a level level playing field, they're going to be more engaged. It's going to be a it's going to be a better experience for them academically if they're studying topics that they actually see an interest in. Uh, because early on, we also want to start to paint the picture that the, these aren't just classes, these are prospective training opportunities for a future career, right? And that's, and that's critical because if, if you're studying things that you like, you could prospectively see yourself working in that field 
and it's the same math, right? If I if I study something I like, then I'm working in something I perspectively like, and you hear that 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 theory quite a bit, right? Follow your passions. Well, this is this is just a concept of that. But back to your point around the parameters of of you know the availability of classes, um, I, I come back to if if we can start to figure out an individual's major, uh, the, at least the athletic departments we work with, um, these individuals are really talented at understanding. Um, the mechanics of a university system scheduling. Uh, we often will find um, the athletes will be given certain priorities for when registration occurs. So that way, uh, if they they will see some flexibility associated with scheduling, uh, and that that's not saying that athletes are taking you know classes that that aren't available for you know the general student body. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is if there's certain sections associated to a class that are available. By giving an athlete certain priority scheduling, that allows them to then budget in practice times and, and travel and the such. Um, so we are seeing that quite a bit. And and I think it's more the rare exception that the kids aren't able to take certain classes based on uh, certain needs. It happens, though. For sure it happens. Uh, I know, uh, you know a gentleman who's, who's in the NFL – pretty successful guy. He, he was a big 10 quarterback and, and was studying medicine and, and had to back off that a bit because his workload, uh, was becoming so stringent on the, on the athletic side that it was just eventually going to hit, you know, this, this point inside of the process that it was going to be really difficult for him to keep up, uh, with the pre-medicine, uh, phase and he moved to a, a major that was very similar but wasn't going to have a lot of the similar academic workloads and 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 you know he's in the NFL and it was, seems like a pretty pretty good choice he can always go back to medical school I guess but um, you know it worked out for him right I see what you're saying yeah I mean I worked for the Rutgers football team uh, when I was a student there and we had access to like the academic advisors and they did that priority scheduling thing, which was mm-hmm. great for me because I didn't even play and I got to get in any class I really wanted ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing was ever closed. So they had that. But I was just thinking, you know, a lot of the kids on the team were like labor studies majors, communications majors. I mean, there were some some exceptions, like you said, but one one of my friends in particular um, also made the right decision because he's now in the NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't he, he was very interested in exercise science and strength and conditioning and stuff like that, but he couldn't take those classes because mm-hmm. of the demand, you know, the demanding schedule of playing football. So yeah, yeah I was just curious. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real scenario. I, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. I'm, it, it it it's not saying that it doesn't happen. I th- I think overall, when you start to kind of look at you know the 500 some odd student athletes at a Rutgers, Rutgers many more than that actually, but you would you would probably see that the majority of the athletes are able to really budget things in pretty well. Okay, uh, so kind of I know at one point you mentioned you know almost performing better academically during the season because you kind of lack the time. Uh, so can you kind of t- tell us about what your transition to life after sports was like and mm-hmm. when you went back to having a lot of time on your hands probably? Yeah, yeah. So mine was pretty abrupt, uh, certainly not um, not the same experience, dramatic experience you've gone through, um, you know, where it was um, – you know, physically related. Um, I'd gone through a coaching transition after uh, sophomore season, and new coach came in, and and uh, and you know, and fortunately for junior year, um, you started seeing some of the changes to the the makeup of the team. Um, and then my senior year, 
uh, I was actually cut from the team at Lehigh. So, so that was something that was very abrupt. Um, you know, I, you could say unexpected, but at the same time, I think, you know, at 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, you start seeing certain things happening and, and, uh, and you, you understand how, how things are unfolding in front of you. Um, and so from my standpoint, uh, I think mentally, I, I, I don't want to say I went through a, a state of depression, but it, I, I, you know, it hit me for sure. Uh, and it was, I didn't feel great, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it's something that you spend, I probably started playing basketball when I was seven, eight years old, you know, and, and not just casually, like it was a really big part of my life. And all of a sudden at 22, uh, something that's dominated my life was just basically taken away and at a competitive level, right? You can always go around and shoot, but you know, the whole experience that, that I was grown so accustomed to was gone. And, and so, but it's also your senior year and my parents were just phenomenal through this whole process where, you know, they helped me understand this is a one-time shot. Your senior year is going to come and go quickly. And, and, uh, you, you know, you need to be able to start to think about this transition. And, and I had some great friends. I was in a fraternity, some really close guys that, you know, that we were really brothers. And so, you know, kind of, you know, not one silver bullet that helped me get through things, but a hundred lead ones, um, led me down this path of, of, you know, life was coming at me quickly. I was approaching graduation. My grades had picked up. Uh, I had a really bad experience, tough experience on the transition away from basketball. But, you know, I, I had always, I, I chose Lehigh because I just, I love that school, right? I mean, I just, I just, it was a part of me. Like I stepped on the campus. It was like, that's just where I wanted to go to college. And yeah, rub it in, dude. Yeah, man. I can go all day. I can go all day. I, there's a reason why, like, my first investor was a Lehigh guy. I'm on the board. Come on, man. I like. I joke around down here, like, and I say this in all loving fashion. Uh, you know, Duke is like the Lehigh of of North Carolina, but it's uh, it, it it's it's it was just an awesome place, right? So, but it's gone. Basketball was gone. So I I uh, now here I am. Uh, it's you know it's October of my senior year, so I started interning. I worked at the Cintas Corporation. They sold uniforms, and and uh, you know, there was I was fortunate. There was a guy there that was uh, a former Cornell athlete that was that was in their management training program. He and I hit it off, so I started going to that office. Yeah, like like three days a week in the afternoons after class. I was getting a, a flavor for that. Uh, I completely threw myself into the interviewing process, not knowing what the hell I was doing. I uh, but. I had this this mindset of more was better, um, and so you know I came out of like going into early spring. I had over twenty job offers already, so I was I was really in a good position from a from a career standpoint, if you will. I think I was still stinging. I know I was still stinging from the whole basketball experience, um, but it's one of the reasons why I probably just threw myself into uh, both school. I had the best academic year, my senior year by far, uh, you know, I blew school out of the water, you know, it was great. And then, and then I, I really said, all right, I'm going to go out and lock up some really good job opportunities. And, um, and I did that, but at the same time, you know, the transition away from basketball was really hard because it was so abrupt. You know, I just, in a sense, I kind of saw some things coming, but when you go through it, you never, you never quite see all the things coming, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. And you, you kind of like 
you know, transferred your energy from basketball into, you know, getting a job and your career. And that kind of seemed like it kind of distracted you a little bit. But, you know, when did the the sting of uh, being cut from the basketball team your senior year? I mean, that's that's got to be like a terrible feeling. Obviously, I feel for you with that one. Uh, Yeah. But like, when did that sting kind of, I guess, dissipate or go away or did did it not go away yet? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, um, it's a great question. You know, I don't know if I have it down to the hour, but it's it, it's fairly recent, to be honest. Um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, once I once I I stepped into the workforce in that first ninety days, I was like, I wasn't. No, that, that was not it. I, this was like recently in the last couple years. Um, you know, it, it. You know, when you're conditioned as an athlete, um, we believe there's certain um, identity qualifiers that athletes gain kind of like if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs assessment, you ever taken one of those personality, like are you an extrovert or an introvert? And there's different ways that you see personalities profiled. We, we've actually invested pretty heavily. We have an assessment instrument that helps an athlete understand their identity and, and what kind of makes them tick. And, and what you realize is, um, you know, at 22 years old, I mean, you're really wrapped up in that identity pretty heavy duty and it's not an overnight process just to to kind of transition away from sport and it's and we have this mentality kind of as a society that you just flip a switch oh you're done playing so you're good now it just doesn't just doesn't work that way and um and i'll tell you i think since i started the business and uh you know a big part of it is i have a 10 year old son who's who's active in sports and and you know my wife and i think about this all the time like so you start seeing that a little bit and you you know, I start to see how, you know, like I'm not, you know, I don't think of myself as an athlete at all anymore. Um, but I think about those athletic experiences I had all the time and, uh, and, and what it really means, my career and my family life. And, and so it's, it's still a big part of me. Um, the sting itself probably is more recent than, than maybe I, it should be, but that probably goes to my maturity level. Um, and, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, you just learn a lot from it. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's probably a lot longer than most, but it's it's. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in, in a sense either. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It took me forever to kind of – I mean, it still stings a little bit that I didn't get to finish out my senior year and stuff like that, didn't get to play college sports, but – you do heal over time. Like, like you said, my podcast has helped me in the process heal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk about some of those kind of transferable moments that you look back on now that you learned in your athletic career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, just cause it's, we're, we're just talking about it. I mean, you know, th- that, that experience I went through, it stings. Um, but you know, you got to wake up the next day and you've got to, you got to keep moving. Um, when I think about it personally, you know, you, you know, again, society, you read books, you see movies like, you know, entrepreneurial experiences, you know, everybody hits a home run and it's, there's just nothing further from the truth. It's, it's really hard to start a business and, and, and grow a company and, and to do that in a successful way. Uh, is a grind like every minute of every day and it it literally changes you like through the process and so I often think about that experience that I went through you know at Lehigh where you know you just you just there's that's getting kicked in the teeth pretty heavy duty when you get cut your senior year in college yeah and and so how do you pick yourself up right and you just kind of find a way and it's I had an old boss um 
he used to say, this ain't ballet. And, and it's true. I mean, you think everything should be kind of coming at you like in a, you know, in a box, you know, with a nice blue bow on it, but it just doesn't work that way. And, and, uh, and I think athletics teaches you that. And I learned that experience with the transition out. The other thing that kind of is a very weird, um, thought, but it, it comes through me daily. Um, when I was a kid, I'm an only child and, uh, me too. so, Hey, there you go. So, and our son as well. So, um, I used to play basketball in, in, in South Jersey. Uh, you get some snow sometimes and it was a weird thing. I used to love going out in the backyard and shoveling snow. And there was this weird mindset that I'd have that I used to think no one else is doing this. Like I, I remember like shoveling the snow and that would like, that's what was like the motivating factor. There's no one else doing this. Like I guarantee everybody else is sitting inside eating hot chocolate, drinking hot chocolate, you know, eating marshmallows, I'm going to shovel snow and I'm going to shoot. And, and if, if nothing else, I just, I know I just got better than somebody else today. Right. Like that was, that was the mindset that I used to think about. And I'm telling you, man, I think about that all the time when I'm going through work, there are certain things that like, you probably have it too with your job. And then you do the podcast. You just, you hit a point where you're just absolutely fried and you're exhausted. And then you just find kind of like, that extra ounce of energy somewhere to kind of go do it. And, and you're like, okay, this will get me, this is some, I don't know how it's going to come back and benefit the business, but it, it will, I just know it will. So I'm going to go do it. And, and you just find a way to do it. And, and, you know, I think that started with me like eight years old, you know? And so in many respects, I used to try to say to, to a lot of the athletes who are like thinking about entrepreneurship, I was like, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, depending on your sport and your routine, you were very entrepreneurial on how you actually became a, you know, a very competitive athlete, a very successful athlete. And that an experience in itself is very entrepreneurial. And, uh, and that's very transferable into the work workplace and to, uh, to career. Yeah, I love that story. That's that's awesome. I could picture you out there shoveling the snow just so you can uh, shoot some hoops after. That's that's cool. Yeah. I used to do similar things, not to shoot hoops, but just to like make money. I would go around to my neighbors and try to uh, shovel their driveways for however much money they would give me. But Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, there's entrepreneur too. Yep. Uh, so what are some common struggles that athletes face both during uh, and after their careers uh, that kind of inspired you to create the game plan platform. Yeah, I I started game plan with the spirit of helping an athlete get a job, and and what I realized pretty quickly, certainly within the first year of of kind of getting it started, was that uh, if getting a job is a ten step process, I was really focused on step ten, and and. And I had to look at the whole process. I didn't see anybody looking at the whole process. And to be very honest, I still don't see anybody other than us focused on the whole process. And, and that's, that's our mission, right? If you think about all the experiences and stuff that an athlete goes through on campus, and like 99% of the stuff, people just don't even see, right? Like it's, it's the things about getting up and early in the morning. And like it's almost becomes a cliche. But you know what? You go around a college campus at six o'clock in the morning, and the only ones that you see awake are the athletes, right? And and, and the military, the ROTC guys, right? Like and the and managers. That, Don't forget the managers. And the, of course, especially at Rutgers. <laughs> and so, you know, like you think about that. Like that's a grind, and they they're they're doing that, and they're doing it to get better. And and 
and all those experiences are going they're going through and yet what one of the things that we started realizing is that it, not so much in the late 90s when i was going to school where you know like i shared with you earlier i had a lot of job opportunities well that was more a reflection of where the economy was there was a lot of movement to hire recent college graduates you know, now that's not necessarily the case. There's, you know, I, I read a statistic earlier, uh, just about a week ago, uh, the Labor Bureau is saying one out of every two 23 to 25-year-olds is underemployed, which means that if I have a college degree, I'm working, one out of two people who have a college degree are now working in jobs that don't require a college degree. That's the way to interpret that. So, so 50% of the the 23 to 25 year olds in our country are looking around saying was college worth it and, and i'm asking that question <laughs> yeah I, I think a lot of folks are with the, with the debt and and if you're an athlete you know that college athlete experience that you're in is the best thing ever right but it when you're 18 to 22 years old what are you thinking about just that right you're not thinking about oh this is going to prepare me for life after sport it you just that just doesn't – those dots don't connect yet, right? And and so what I quickly realized was the mission with, with Game Plan is if we can connect with the athlete earlier to help them understand that this experience is, in a sense, not a liability, which a lot of athletes actually view as a liability to go get a job because, you know, I have practice when – um, when the coach, when the recruiters are on campus, or I can't get into the classes that I want to get into because of my practice schedule, you know, to share the experience that you just said. Um, there's so many of that that when we hear these athletes going through it, they they love the athletic experience. They would they would never give that up, but they view it as a liability to their transition into the workforce. Um, what we're missioned around is change that. I mean, the the experience they're going through is absolutely relevant. And they don't have to go beyond just that experience. They just have to change their mindset around that experience that they're going through, the grind that their coach takes them through and the scheduling and, and the, the working with the teammates and playing with somebody who's just a pain in the neck and figuring out a way to still go out and win and, and, and working in a diverse environment. I mean, everything that you think about the collegiate athlete experience, helping not just the outsiders understand that, because I think the outsiders value it. It's the insiders. It's the athlete themselves helping them understand this thing is absolutely relevant. And, um, and so that was it. So we looked at this and said, how do we figure out what this journey is that a kid goes through? And when they come out on the other side, they're just in that awesome spot, right? They're, they're, they're going to go take the world by storm. And, um, and, it, and that's a mindset shift. And I think that's process-driven, right, versus event-driven. Uh, you know, I think in many respects, when, you know, when we looked at the market, uh, you go to graduation, then you'll get a job. And I, um, I still say typically that getting a job and getting a degree in college are mutually exclusive events. And we looked at that and said, that's, that's wrong. And then you also have to wrap in the fact that this athlete is absolutely identifying themselves as purely an athlete at this point. So you have another element that you need to be able to wrestle with. And, and when you combine all that, it's really it's really damn hard to do this, but if you do it the right way, it's awesome. And, and, it, and it really, really impacts how a kid looks at their life and their experience and value it. Um, so that's the mission. And, um, and so it's, it, it, you could, you could kind of say, Hey, let's, we're helping kids get jobs and we are, but it's really just part and parcel to the overall mission of what we're about. 
I, I love that explanation, and you know, I'm really impressed with your platform. I I hope that more athletes can you know get their hands on or uh, get their hands on uh, a tool like this. Uh, but I'm really interested to hear, like, you, you talked about the identity piece, and that's something that I really struggle with and is part of the reason why I even started this podcast in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I guess, what, like, what's your approach to, like, chip away at that athlete identity um, to make it kind of transferable to other, I guess, areas and mm-hmm. also to keep the athlete sane and not make them depressed <laughs> knowing that their athletic career is over? Yeah. Well, that, that's, see, that's an interesting question. Um, I'll first tell you our approach and kind of our methodology. You, you know, our, our view is that uh, historically college athletic departments have managed everything in a very interpersonal way. Um, they hire an academic advisor to help an athlete go through academic advising and classes and tutoring, and that's in person. Um, you you start working and th- working the numbers back around that. You know, let's say there's 500 student athletes on a campus. How many academic advisors? You can't get one per kid, right? So so you you start dealing with ratios. A school like Rutgers, let's say they have 10. You know, you, you back into the math of that. How how deep can those relationships get? I think they can get pretty good, but but at a certain point, they you know there's there's a point of 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 bandwidth that kicks in for that academic advisor. They can't do everything with the student athlete, right? They can't they can't not just help them with academic advising and career. Well, there's this shift in college athletics right now where, by and large, most folks think that academic performance of an athlete is pretty good right now. Last year, as an example, uh, 86% of student athletes competing graduated. Uh, that actually outperformed general student body. It's the first time ever that happened. So that's a big deal, right? So student athletes are performing really, really well academically. So some smart people are asking themselves the question, so like, what's next? Well, what's next is, is this movement towards personal development, uh, understanding the identity of the athlete, helping them transition away from sport, helping them get a job. Well, in the, in the structure of an athletic department, how do you hire enough people to go figure that out, right? Like that's right. really hard. And, and, and yet I, we see athletic departments falling back into that premise a lot. Um, and, it's, and I'm just cherry picking this as one example. I would tell you like that's, that's what athletic departments do by and large when they see an issue. They move to hire some folks to be able to address the issues. We're looking at it and saying – this is, you know, if you look at academic advising, you know, the kid that's a three, five and above, you're not academic advising that kid very much, right? They're doing pretty well. Well, the kid that's three, five and above still needs transition away from sport. They're still dialed in as an athlete. They're still probably, relatively speaking, challenged to go find the right job. So, so now kind of the, the caseload, if you will, on, on in, inside of that athletic department's grown. Um, even though the dynamic hasn't really changed, it's just the, the focus is broadened out from not just academic advising to also now it's this life after sport. So when we looked at it and said, what does that look like? We needed to, we need to understand the journey of every athlete, you know, whether you are a knucklehead like me academically or a road scholar, th- that individual is going through a similar journey, different maturity rates different speed, et cetera. But we needed to understand what that looked like. We needed to kind of put some some structure around it. Uh, once we understood what that looked like, then we needed to be able to build some tools to be able to assist 
their stakeholders to be able to expand their reach. Because again, if, if there's, you can only hire so many people, right? That, that, that's a finite number. And yet you, those individuals can't get to everybody to the depths that they need to. So how do we build a tool set to be able to really reach all of those student athletes? And that's what we were started to do. And what we found is one of the primary challenges that everybody was facing was uh, the identity of the athlete. So, so by and large, people would just kind of broad brush it and you put a hundred kids in a room, you know, 50 were athletes and 50 were non-athletes. What you find is the 50 athletes just identify as an athlete, right? Like that's a no brainer. But then you ask the 50 non-athletes to leave. What do you, what are you left with? Well, you got 50 athletes. Well, you find they're very unique. Uh, not everyone's a great teammate. I mean, I, you played football. I, I'm sure you played some other sports. Think about some of the teammates you played with that are like, that wasn't a really good teammate, right? And but yet, on the outside looking in, what what are, what do you always hear about, hear about college athletes? Oh, they're great teammates. That's not always true. It's just not always true. Um, some of them are very self-absorbed. Um, that's that's the case. Others aren't. Others don't even want to address themselves as an athlete. Yet that's never really spoken about, right? Uh, others are super high in structure. That you know, someone like me, where they flourish in structure. Um, others need certain support. And and sometimes the support comes to them so much that they get used to it. Uh, and I can go on and on. And, and what we started realizing is, God, this is great insight into an individual. And as opposed to treating every athlete the same, let's help these stakeholders understand what's unique about that athlete. And if I can put that information in the hands of a coach, how much more valuable is their relationship become with that kid, uh, an academic advisor, a life skills coordinator, and so forth? So it's it's it became like this breakthrough for us where it was, as if you think about, again, our mission of helping the athlete through this whole journey, what we recognize is we're catching them in college. They started playing their sport at like nine or 10 years old. Their identity was built well before they got into campus. And, and it just really solidified once they were there. But we needed to help these stakeholders who, who were getting these increasing amounts of work on their desk to figure out how to, how to get to the kid, right? And so, so when we think about the identity of the athlete, it was through uh, technology uh, that allowed us to be able to extend the reach of the folks on campus to be able to, to, really, to really get to the, the level and the depth that they needed to. It would take years to be able to do it the old-fashioned way, um, and they don't have that. So, so how do we really condense that timeline? Um, you know, that's what we do. Really cool. Um, you've already kind of done this to some degree, but I know like your company and game plan has a probably a huge framework. You guys do a ton, uh, but mm-hmm. can you kind of like just finish, I guess, painting the picture of how the platform works and take us like along the athlete journey that the game plan framework was kind of built for? Yeah, no, I sure, and I because I was just kind of touching on it. The framework of game plan was built on the journey of the athlete. So, although we certainly address freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, you know, fifth year, uh, what we look at is the the stages of development an athlete goes through. Uh, that foundational phase, you know, that transition from high school into college, the academic performance phase. Are you are you studying things that you like? Do you even know what you like? Uh, world readiness phase. Are you starting to think about life after sport, breaking the ice earlier with them versus 
where you and I kind of had it, right? Where it was just so abrupt, um, it, it, it hurts, right? It's going to hurt anyway, but if you start peeling off the Band-Aid earlier, does that, does that help? Um, Soak it a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, a lot. Um, career development. Um, an aspect that, that many athletic departments, we believe, jump past uh, is their, and I, I fully believe it's their biggest asset, is their former, uh, former athletes, the active alumni stage. You know, it's an amazing experience for a young athlete to be able to talk with someone who just went through that. And, and, and it's like a, it's like the secret language that's spoken between them and, and it's just invaluable. So when you think about those stages, game plans built the platform to help an athlete go through each of those stages. Um, but at the same time, we want to be able to give stakeholders the ability to see into the athlete's growth in those stages. So, so in a sense, measure how one's progressing through those stages. Um, and we do that through things like e-learning and assessment instruments and, and communication tools and, and just general awareness of where they are in the process. Uh, we think that's just really, really valuable, uh, not just for the kid, but again, for those stakeholders whose, whose day is getting more and more busy by the minute. Uh, and the stakeholders are the athletic departments, right? Yeah, today's the athletic department. Uh, it's it's the coach. Uh, you know, depending on the t- on the sport, you know, that might be the head coach. That might be, you know, for a football program, that might be a player development coach. Um, it's certainly an academic advising team. It's certainly a life skills coordinating team. Uh, depending on the level of the university, sometimes this is a student affairs group. Um, you know, Division two, Division three programs. The athletic department's uh, a little more streamlined, so. You, you start to see campus play a bigger part of uh, role and function. So you see the, the software used by the stakeholders in different fashions. Um, you know, it's big. So that's kind of, call that layer one. That's the foundation of, of our, our platform. What we think really has now taken us to new heights, uh, our level, or what we've done in terms of just incorporating key aspects of individual's growth. Um, so f- I was just touching on it. We now have a, a, a alumni or we call it a mentorship marketplace because it's not necessarily just limited to alumni, but we allow for virtual mentorship. So as a student athlete's progressing through their journey, uh, we're working with the athletic departments to be able to invite former athletes, uh, folks that they trust uh, to come in and play an advisory role to that young person. And, and you see how critical that is. Uh, it's, and it's awesome, the value it brings to, to that young person. Um, but on the flip side of it, I would say a really big benefit that the athletic department looks at is it's a really unique, innovative way to organize young alumni. Um, you know, think about uh, what it was like when you just got out of Rutgers. And I know what it was like for me coming out of Lehigh. Um, how connected were you with the athletic department or the university as a whole? You get back to games. You you know, you tailgate, that type of thing. But are you, are you actually, you know, systematically connected to the university? And, and what we looked at and said, this is a really innovative way to be able to stay engaged with an alum. You know, you're not asking for money. You're asking for mentorship. Um, you know, I've said, uh, you know, for a kid like me, who's on the, on the back end of that experience, wasn't great, right? I got my teeth kicked in. You know, my motivation is, Sure, I'll I'll donate my devote my time to help mentor because I don't want the next guy to go through what I went through. Right, um, the kid that had an awesome experience he wants to give give back because 
hell, it was an awesome experience, right? So, so you can kind of play both sides of that card. And kid, and what we find is, it's it, the demand is unreal for for the mentorship. And and again, it's this this side benefit that the athletic department starts to receive in terms of the way to to be able to organize and manage alumni. So that's one. And then two, we are bringing jobs to the table. So we have a national marketplace of employers that are interested in hiring athletes across the entire footprint of our software. And it's, and it's awesome, right? Because these folks are, they're all in on the athletes and, and those brands are, you know, just in our eyes, exquisite, great opportunities to start your career. But we take that a step further where we're not just a national job board. We actually put the tool of what we call employer management in the hands of the athletic department. So that at a school like Rutgers and Rutgers is a customer, uh, now has the ability to also manage employers who are interested in hiring Rutgers athletes. You know, athletic departments aren't built necessarily to help kids get jobs, but they're starting to get some staff, for example, around life skills and career development. And, and Rutgers has an awesome leadership development program. And, and if you think about what, what that team does inside of, of Rutgers athletics, having a, a, a technology tool to be able to manage interested employers to be able to promote the brand of what it's like to, to, to work at a certain organization, as well as the actual jobs. And you can actually apply for those jobs all in one place. And that being the same place that walks the kid through the journey, that being the same place that also helps them manage mentorship, you know, that's killer, right? Because, because what you've also realized within athletic departments is, is there's a lot coming at the kids, particularly around technology, and we call it platform fatigue. So the more we can start to streamline where kids spend their time online, that's a real value as well. So we've, we've done that, and we're just super excited because we think it's kind of like this three-legged stool of awareness and education with jobs and mentorship. Yeah, it seems like it's got everything going. Like the value is like incredible. Um, I guess my, my other question is, like, how do the athletic departments use the platform? Like, mm -hmm. is it a login for each athlete and then mm -hmm. the academic advisor kind of oversees what's going on? Like, is there engagement with mm -hmm. the athlete? Or I guess can you just explain the, yeah. the, the user side of it? Sure. Um, so to, so to, to kind of continue what you were saying, yes. So it's a software as a service. So everyone has a login, unique login, and, and there's several different user types. So there's the student athlete. Uh, there's, there's essentially an advisor role where, you know, if you're a coach or a life skills coordinator, academic advisor, you're the stakeholder of that student athlete. So you have certain capabilities. Student athletes obviously have certain capabilities. Um, and then, and then employers and, and mentors. So, so yeah, so the use cases inside of an athletic department are really broad. Um, so I'll give you just a couple examples. Um, we see a lot of, we, we started here in a sense, incoming freshmen, uh, school like Rutgers, other, a lot of state institutions will have a, um, a like for example, a, a freshman course, a freshman seminar, welcome to campus, typically accredited one or three credits. And, and what we find is uh, we're often used inside of that course. Uh, we're not the course, but a lot of the e-learning courses that we have and assessment instruments we have will actually help complement the curriculum in that course. And it's great. And so incoming freshmen where knuckleheads like me really stub their toe have a different level of resource that they ever had before. And, um, and we see that happen all the time. Um, one example, way out on the other side of this, we, we're now starting to see, for example, 
alumni development who traditionally are not working with the student athletes, right? They're out fundraising and, and that's, that's what they do. Yet we're now starting to see alumni development use our platform because when you start thinking about heavy hitter donors, they're individuals that are, that are business individuals and, and entrepreneurs and successful folks in the community. And when you start thinking about what keeps them up at night, of course they would want to give back to a school like Rutgers as an example, but they also have hiring needs. Uh, and, and if we could, you combine a, a value proposition of giving back to your alma mater while receiving the benefits of being able to, to for example, uh, promote job opportunities to student athletes, that's a huge win for that for that donor, uh, and it's a great asset for an alumni development person. So, you know, two very different use cases, um, but but happening real time right now for us, and and it's really exciting. So it's becoming much more of like an athletic department solution versus just purely a student athlete development solution. Yeah, it seems like a win win for every party involved uh, to this point. Uh, I guess this, this is a bit of a random question, but sure. is there a discrepancy? Have you seen a discrepancy between the preparedness of Division One athletes versus Division Three athletes? Only because you know, usually, in terms of athletic departments, their resources in that in Division Three athletics are uh, not as not up to the same standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, you know, I my my nephew, our nephew, just uh, just wrapped up his Division Three playing career baseball in the Midwest and, you know, certainly, you know, know what it looks like at different levels. And, you know, I think many could make the argument that the experience that the, the division three athlete goes through, um, you where, you know, some of the facilities, uh, some of the coaching resources, uh, are a little more streamlined at the division three level versus abundant at a division one level. You can also make, you can, you can kind of make the argument that grind, uh, prepares the individual even more. Uh, and, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, debate against that. Uh, I, I think they're both phenomenal. So I don't want to kind of like categorize one versus the other, but I don't think so. I don't think one individual is, is more prepared than the other. Uh, I would say this, like in the eyes of the beholder, right? So if I'm looking at this from an employer standpoint, yeah, I don't know if I'm looking at, you know, the star quarterback because of their on the field wins and losses. Although I probably look at it, you know, I, I'm going to keep that in, in the back of my mind. I'm looking at the complete picture. You know, is this, is this an individual that will, that will be a successful employee in our organization? Um, and, and whether you're playing division one, two or three, you know, sport is sport, you know, you're competing, you're, you're preparing, uh, you're getting better. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think, I think when you just look at the the experience of college athletics, it's just a phenomenal one uh, that that you know you would you'd think is you know at 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 any level um, preparing one for the next phase of life. Yeah, it was a good explanation. Brought us some things I didn't really think about uh, in terms of like the grind being even more of a grind because you don't have that you know the access to some of the resources uh, that mm-hmm. the Division One programs have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you said that you know. Mostly athletic departments uh, use your platform, and it's not mm-hmm. really available to like a high school athlete. But I'm just thinking, like putting myself in my own shoes when I was 17 and I couldn't play sports anymore, and that was kind of like my transition point at mm-hmm. that at that point in my life. But you know, like what advice do you have for athletes in that situation, like high school athletes who mm-hmm. don't go on to play college? Um, 
like what what can they be doing to kind of set themselves up for success in their career or uh, stuff like that? So the non-athlete going to college. Well, the once athlete now non-athlete. Oh, I see. Yeah, Former going. competitive athlete in high school, but but transitioned to be you know a college student and and might not be competing you know in that institution, but but still has a lot of the the mentality of an athlete. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great question. I. You know, I think by and large, you know, there's an understanding in in higher ed, and maybe it's just a perception I have, but you know, I think that student is is very much treated like a great customer, where um, people are bending over backwards to accommodate that individual, and and I think I get the value of that, particularly when you see the price tags of some of these institutions, um, but don't let that lull you into a, you know, kind of a relaxed setting where, um, you know, if you're preparing for life after college, and I think that's what college is, is designed for ultimately, you know, prepare you for the next phase of your life, um, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that are on the campus, you know, albeit like you did, like you couldn't, you couldn't compete anymore, but you were, you were there, you're a team manager. That's a compelling story to any hiring manager when it's all said and done. I can't compete for physical reasons. But it wasn't it wasn't out of my blood, and I and I still have this great drive. And the way to best I could fulfill that was through this, and became a team manager. That's compelling. Um, I guess what I'm saying is there's 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 a lot of opportunities on college campuses, as as I said earlier, because you have more free time and and to to uh, to lose some of the muscle tone, if you will. Yeah. Don't let that happen. And uh, and I think if you if you take that perspective. Um, that it's that it's still competitive, and you're you're grinding out versus everyone else. That's that's an important view to take. Um, I, I I I say all that with the caveat I'm not the expert here on the non-student athlete by any stretch. I so I don't you know hopefully these professionals who are listening from higher ed um, you know don't look at it and say God you're you're off base because I probably am. But at the same time, it's just as I think about the student athlete experience that we look at and focus in on so much. Um, I think a lot can be learned for the non-student athlete as well, uh, for sure, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, and, and those experiences can be broadened out. For example, uh, if you're in a, if you're in a, any type of a volunteer organization, are you just kind of checking the box or are you really in, you know, are you really participating? Uh, are you just building a resume or are you, re- is this really part of you? Are you really gaining the experience? Because uh, th- a good employer is going to be able to find out the difference, uh, in my opinion. Okay. No, I thought that was that was great advice. I think that that was a really good answer. Uh, so, what kind of companies? I know you're you're kind of partnered with a bunch mm-hmm. of companies. So, what kind of companies should athletes look for when searching for a job? Because I know, I mean, I work in a corporate environment for my full time job, and it is a, a struggle sometimes. It's like a mm-hmm. hospital. So. It's very mm-hmm. sterile. It's a sterile environment. It's not very, uh, I guess, uplifting or inspiring at mm-hmm. times. So, you know, what kind of company should athletes look for to have, like, kind of set themselves up for success in a corporate environment if they choose to go that route? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. So, if you can kind of think about this as kind of a, a matrix, and, and this is the best way to explain it, if you really start to understand your keen interest, right, things that early on, hopefully you're thinking about that will help you derive a subject matter focus, right? You know, what, what am I going to major in in college? 
you know, and then kind of expand that out and say, okay, oh, I really like entrepreneurship. I can see myself starting my own company, right? So it's not just something I studied. I can actually follow through on it. Whatever those interests are, think about that as kind of one access, right? On the other access, understand like what's my identity as an athlete? Like what made me tick? Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, individuals that are super high in camaraderie. And, and you played and you, you've been in the locker rooms. You know who they are, right? They're the – people call them the glue guys, right? And, and, and so they're not just the teammates. They're like the, the super teammates. They're the individuals that you're not just going to for, you know, like athletic questions and stuff. Like that's the one that you're going to for friendship stuff. And, and they're, they're the people – gosh, I, I'm about to flunk out of school. What do I do? Like that's that person, right? They're super high in camaraderie. What we know about that individual now is that person is going to face the toughest transition away from college. They're so tied to those relationships they have on campus, that's a very difficult transition for them to leave that campus. So, so let's just say hypothetically that individual has that high, high identity around camaraderie. And, um, and, and now that individual understands the individual interest that I have. And I can map that out also to uh, cultures that have high camaraderie. That's a pretty good lens to start looking in as you're interviewing companies, just like they're interviewing you, you want to get into their culture. So what we say by that is, you know, the interests are really going to guide what's my job like? Like, what do I have to do every day? Or as we say, if I stop doing this responsibility, I no longer will get paid. It's the easiest way to think about your job responsibility, right? You have a job today. There's something that if you stop doing it, you're going to get fired. Like that's, that's your job responsibility. Uh, what is that for that person? And, and do I like it? Is that something I can see myself doing? Like that's, so that's kind of the one access. That's the interest access. The, the identity access is the culture. Do I fit? If I'm going into an environment that really, really has a big focus around team orientation and, and camaraderie, think about that for a second. That's big. So where we could see where could that person go sideways? You know, let's just say, you know, everybody says athletes like sales and they do very well in sales. So let's just say hypothetically that person goes into a sales environment and they're working out of their house. Well, the person who's sitting and working out of their house who has no real collegial interaction, right? They're not interacting with any teammates. They're not, they're not like having the water cooler talk. That's a, that's a struggle for that kid, right? I'm like, I'm used to being in the locker room and, and outside the locker room, everybody came to me for advice and, and insight. And, I, and I'm around people all the time. That's the camaraderie. That person's going to fail. Like that, that, that is, and fail is not necessarily that they can't do the job. It's just in that environment, it's going to go sideways on them. You can predict that. So help the individual understand what is a good culture and map that out. So, so we look at it through that lens. I think it's a really valuable lens to think about things through. Am I interested in the job? Would I actually fit the culture? And by able to by by understanding what makes me tick within the identity, we'll be able to make you see, get kind of have a a, a a forecast into what's a culture like. You know, what am I looking for? For me, it was really high in structure. So I went and worked for an old IBM company coming out of college, uh, highly structured environment, right? It was someplace that, you know, the the training I went through was nine months before I even had a chance to even do my job. And it was so structured. It was wonderful. I was the rookie of the year. 
I flourished. It wasn't because I was the smartest guy in the room by any stretch of the imagination, but it was the right structure for me. Um, I, you know, finding that that structure is a really critical thing. Um, yeah. That identity map. Yeah, I, I think that the the question that you said to ask is what what part of this job that if I didn't do it I would get fired and am I okay doing that job? I think that's like a interesting question that I feel like probably most people, athlete or non athlete, don't ask themselves before they take a job. No, you look at the job description. It's a real sexy job description, right? Yeah. Like we always, I pick on stockbrokers, not because I think you know being a stockbroker is a bad thing. I think it's a very lucrative valuable career. But if you look at the, you know, job descriptions associated with becoming a stockbroker, does it ever say you're going to make a hundred phone calls a day and most of them are to your family to ask them for their money, right? But if you don't do that, you're not going to be employed as a stockbroker very long, right? That's just the reality. And so, you know, like we get tied into the job description versus the job responsibility. And those are often two very different things. Great advice, uh, Vin. A couple more questions before we we wrap things up. Uh, What are some of the most common mistakes that athletes make that make them unattractive to employers? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, You know, I think it's always unique and they're circumstantial. I don't think there's there's a common mistake. I think the one where not just athletes but, but many young people have a chance to trip up on uh, around social media. Uh, I know uh, we're very excited. We're, 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 we just started a relationship with Major League Baseball. Uh, next week, we'll, you'll see an announcement from us on another major professional league. And in both instances, we're going to be working very closely with those professional athletes on social media. And, and that's a little different, but it's very much similar to, um, you know, employers are going to check you out. You know, I'm sure before you got on the phone call with me today, you Googled me. Um, I know I did with you, right? So you're, you're checking out what's that person's footprint look like. Um, it's all fair game from an employer standpoint. And, um, and the, those silly mistakes, just they don't go away. Uh, you know, the employers, are, they're pretty good at, at trying to find that stuff out. And um, you can see people trip up a lot. Okay. Uh, and then – Last question before we talk about where we could find you. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you share some uh, success stories uh, and some of the feedback you've gotten from the platform itself? Yeah, no, I, I, thanks for, for asking. I, you know, we've, we've got, if you go to the, the site, there's a lot of different testimonials um, where we've, we've worked with individual student athletes going through uh, their journey, uh, helping an individual figure out what their, their interests are to help them map to a major. Um, helping an all ACC women's basketball player land a position at PNC Bank that, you know, she she was she moved and she was going to the WNBA and this opportunity presented itself and it was more valuable for her. Um, we have national employers that uh, have a wonderful employment opportunity, a company like Red Ventures in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's that's uh, that hires about 700 students a year. Um, you know, they're not necessarily looking across the Midwest for, for hiring opportunities. Yet one of the first individuals that from, from our network that took a position there was a young lady volleyball player from Michigan state. So it's, it's when you think about, you know, what technology allows for, um, it's not designed to, to kind of hip check out 
the athletic department. It's really designed to help them become much more efficient, like bolster what they're trying to do. So we help student athletes get a little better and we help an athletic department expand their reach to get a little better. Um, that's, that's our mainstay, but I, those come to mind, you know, it's just those unique circumstances when you see and hear how it's impacted, um, you know, the kids, I, I, one that's personal to me cause it was really cool. Um, uh, you know, obviously Lehigh is pretty close to me and, and the basketball team went through, uh, a summer of going through game plan and a couple of the, the young guys, uh, in particular one incoming freshman who hadn't started a fall class yet, but went through the, uh, went through the platform and, you know, was later interviewed actually in a, a really cool session. And one of the things he was saying is, you know, you come to Lehigh with the idea of, of what Lehigh is. And, and I, I buy that, but it's also the ball will eventually stop bouncing. And here's an 18 year old who's got the maturity to start thinking about that. And, um, and I think it's a real gentle way to start breaking that ice. And, uh, and, and also, have the maturity of a coach to say that that's an okay discussion to start having. Like having a discussion around life after sport should not necessarily be mutually exclusive to winning and losing, right? Like just by fact of bringing up life after sport as a coach doesn't mean that you're giving up on the kid's current life in sport. Um, that doesn't work that way. Uh, it, it's the the coaches that invest into the the young person who's, who's engaged today. Uh, that's the one where the, that kid knows it, you know, that they, they just, they buy in even more. And the next, in, in my opinion, the next level coach, the, the individuals who really get that are the individuals that are helping the student athlete begin thinking about that transition. Um, again, not to distract them from how they compete today, but to, you know, in, in, in a very, mature way, helping them understand what's going to come up for them next. Yeah. It's cool to see that. It's really cool to see that. So we, we're really fortunate to like, I am like living my dream. So it's, it's fun for me. That's great. And I really resonate with that uh, last story that you said and talking about like with the coaches, cause I think coaches kind of fail to realize like how much influence that they have over their athletes at times. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to injuries and playing hurt and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, you know, if someone, if, it, if the coach brings up like the life after the sport, as opposed you know, to saying like, no, you need to be hundred percent focused on winning this game and you know, whatever, uh, it, it kind of gives the athlete, you know, permission to think about mm-hmm. those things instead of yep. like pigeonholing them in just thinking about the sport. So I like that. Yep. Um, yeah, just as we uh, wrap up, where can people find you on online and on social media? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, our site is wearegameplan.com. Uh, you'll be able to find us if you just uh, in any typical search uh, is game plan. Um, and then online with LinkedIn, uh, game plan works and Twitter game plan works. But we are game plan is a great place to start. We are gameplan.com. All right. And all that will be linked up in the show notes. And Vin, thank you for coming on the show and uh, talking about the platform that you created. And it's amazing, you know, how it can really help out athletes. And I, I wish that I had something like this to kind of, you know, take me along my journey uh, as an athlete as well. So I, I commend you for, for the work you put in. Uh, just the opposite, man. What you've gone through and you come out the other side, you know, with the view that you have and what you're doing for, for athletes today, uh, it's really, really, really commendable. So, so congratulations for all that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it.